You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On February 19th of 2013, a body would be found inside of a large cistern on the roof of the Stay on Main Hotel in downtown Los Angeles in the United States of America. Now, over nine years later, many would say that there are plenty of mysteries and unanswered questions surrounding the case. This death had been called back to in pop culture many times over the years, and in fact bore a lot of similarities to the horror movie Dark Water, which actually came out many years before the death, in 2005. This week, we will talk about the girl at the center of the story, the hotel itself, the video that was later released to the public, the elevator game, and some of the theories that have popped up over the years. Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of Gone But Never Forgotten, The Disappearance of a Chinese-Canadian Abroad, The Alyssa Lam Story. to GBNF. This week we are certainly going to cover a case that most true crime fans are at least vaguely aware of, and one that comes with a lot of different theories that may have risen up over the years. However, this is also a case that seems to have a suitable answer as presented by law enforcement and the facts that were given to the public. This week we will tell you about the young woman the story and the theories, and we will throw it to you, the listener, to decide whether you think that there is more to this case than meets the eye, or if the chatter all these years later is simply that, chatter, from internet sleuths and detectives who simply have almost romanticized the story and the search for more. But before we get started, we just want to remind you that if you're listening and you're a fan, please give us a follow or a rating wherever you take in your podcasts. And also, please remember to hit us up on social media or via email if you would like to send in a hashtag BeBetterStory. Those stories, of course, are stories that could have happened to you or someone else that entails something going above and beyond in a feel-good way. We love to add those stories at the end of our episodes to lift the spirits of you, our listeners, a little bit after we descend into the dark and dreary world of true crime. Speaking of that dark and dreary world, let's head there now and learn about the sad story of Alyssa Lamb. Oh, I wish we had a hashtag be better story at the end of this one. (laughs) 
Alyssa Lamb was a first-generation Canadian born on April 30th of 1991. Her Cantonese name was Lam Ho Yi, and her parents were David and Yina Lam, and she had one sister, Sarah. Alyssa and Sarah were reportedly very close growing up. The family lived in British Columbia, Canada, and Alyssa was a student at the University of British Columbia. She has been described as someone who was at times incredibly social and at other times incredibly withdrawn. However, people said that she was very sweet, very creative, and very interested in fashion. Alyssa was a student at the University of British Columbia, and she took a lot of solace in blogging online, where she used a couple of sites mainly, Blogspot early on, and then she would blog on Tumblr. In Alyssa's last blog on Blogspot, she spoke a bit on her school experience. She explained that she had a relapse. She had previously been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. She explained that because of her relapse, she had dropped two courses and was only taking one course. She said that she felt like she was lagging way behind her peers and that she had only completed three courses in three years. She would also lament that because of her small course load, she had a lot of free time and not anyone to spend her time with. She certainly sounded like a young woman who was really struggling to find her place in the world and struggling to keep up with everyone around her. I think that that is sadly something that a lot of us go through. I think that one of the ways that many of us can get lost is by comparing ourselves to other people and figuring that we need to help keep, we need to keep up and that if we don't keep up, we're somehow failing. One of the things that I think we all lose sight of in this world is that all of us, each and every one of us, is different. It's okay to do things at the pace and take the time that works best for us, and that doesn't make you any different or less than anyone else. Certainly. I think that that is one of the leading causes of people feeling inadequate. We are made to believe that we need to be a certain thing or achieve a certain thing by a certain age in life. And far too often, we and people around us place standards on us that wind up actually holding us back rather than pushing us forward. At the beginning of January, the January 2013 semester, Alyssa would not be registered for any courses at U of BC and she informed her parents that she wanted to take a trip down the west coast of the United States and to check out the lifestyle in Los Angeles. Her parents were not thrilled with the idea of her going on this, this trip by herself, but since Alyssa was 21 years old and very headstrong, there was not a lot that they could do. One of the main reasons that her family didn't love the idea of her going on her own was because of Alyssa's mental health issues. While Alyssa did not have a history of suicidal ideations, according to her family, she did have a history of stopping her medications. When she came off of her medications, she would suffer from hallucinations that would cause her to hide, and she also had been hospitalized once before when she took herself off of her medications. Much to the chagrin of her family, Alyssa would leave for the trip. She made the trip to L.A. alone using Amtrak and buses. Along the way, she made a pit stop at the San Diego Zoo where she would take photos and post them to her social media accounts. 
She would then arrive in Los Angeles on January 26th. On January 28th, Alyssa would check into the State on Main, which was formerly known as the Cecil Hotel. We will get into the history of the hotel a little later, but it was a 14-floor hotel that had 700 guest rooms. On December 13th, 2021, the Cecil will be reopened after closure as an affordable housing complex. It is located in downtown Los Angeles. Originally, when Alyssa checked in, she was given a room that was a shared room on the fifth floor of the hotel. Her roommates, however, complained that Alyssa was showing very odd behaviors, including leaving notes for her roommates that said, go home and go away. She would also lock the door to the room when people left and demand that they use a password to get back into the room. Eventually, she was moved to a room where she was alone to get away from those other people. While staying at the Stay on Main, she also would attend a live taping of Conan, but she was actually escorted off of the set by security because she was being disruptive. Even though it sounds like Alyssa was possibly having a difficult time in some ways while she was in LA, she kept in constant contact with her family. She called every single night to touch base. However, on the night of January 31st, 2013, she did not call home. That was also the day that she was supposed to check out of the stay on Maine and leave LA for Santa Cruz. When David and Yina did not hear from Alyssa and could not contact her, they immediately got in touch with the Los Angeles Police Department. The LAPD would search the hotel as best they could, seeing as there was not any real reason for the premises of each room to be searched. However, they did use sniffer dogs to try and locate any sign of Alyssa, including on all of the floors and on the roof of the building. The dogs were unsuccessful in picking up her scent. Sergeant Rudy Lopez with the LAPD would say, quote, We did not search every room. We could only do that if we had probable cause to believe that a crime had been committed, unquote. Unfortunately, there was absolutely no sign of Alyssa to be found anywhere. Hotel staff that saw Alyssa said that she had been alone and the only person outside of the hotel who saw Alyssa that day was the manager of the last bookstore, who said that Alyssa had been shopping for gifts for her family for when she returned home. On February 6, one week after Alyssa had been last seen, the LAPD realized that they were running out of time if there was indeed a crime that was committed. They took a photo that was provided to them by Alyssa's parents and made up flyers, and they posted that flyer all over online and the neighborhood nearby in hopes that someone would remember seeing Alyssa somewhere since she had gone missing, and that someone had seen something that could help them to figure out how to proceed. Unfortunately, nothing of significance would come from the flyers or appeals from police. And then on February 13th, the LAPD would take an unusual step. They released video footage of Alyssa inside of one of the elevators at the hotel. This was believed to be the last known footage of Alyssa. This footage, to this day, is something that is watched a lot by people discovering the case and internet sleuths alike. The footage is actually rather disturbing to watch when you realize that the person in the video is no longer with us. 
In the video, Alyssa can be seen walking onto the elevator and pushing buttons. She makes weird gestures and odd movements, including looking up and down the hall as though she is being followed by someone. The elevator itself, though, does not close its doors, and eventually Alyssa leaves the shot from the camera inside the elevator, and that's believed to have been the last time she was seen. The video would immediately be shared all over the world and would receive millions of views and hundreds of thousands of comments across the internet within the first 10 days online. Much like I said earlier, a lot of the comments were regarding how unsettling the video was for viewers to watch. There was a lot of theories that arose regarding the video and what Alyssa was doing and why she was doing the things that she was doing. The first theory that immediately comes to mind when you watch the video is that Alyssa is being followed by someone and trying desperately to get on the elevator and off of the floor that she is on to get away. It appears as though she is watching for someone when she gets off of the elevator. The second theory that people came up with when watching the video was that Alyssa was on some kind of hallucinogenic drug that was clearly making her trip out and act the way that she is in the video. I can see why people would think this. I felt very clearly like Alyssa was looking as though she was speaking to someone in the video, real or perceived. It seemed like someone was indeed there with her, even if it was just in her own mind. I agree with that wholeheartedly, which will bring us to the third idea that you can get when you watch the video and know all of the things that we've already mentioned in passing. What we are watching, and perhaps what makes this the most difficult to watch, could very well be Alyssa experiencing an episode on that elevator that was, or was akin to, psychosis. When news broke that Alyssa suffered from bipolar disease, something that her parents essentially had kept as a secret, people started to realize that they could very well, that could very well be the case. We'll cover this a little bit more shortly. As the search continued for Alyssa, police and the management of the hotel would speak to everyone and anyone, and a couple of things started to be mentioned. The first was that one of the rooms on the upper floor had a leak, but more importantly, many of the guests started to complain about low water pressure. Others still complained that their water was coming in in a darker, almost black color at times, and that the water had an unusual taste. So, on February 19th, a member of the maintenance team at the hotel went onto the roof to explore what may be wrong with the water supply for the hotel. When he got there, one of the tanks that he went to inspect was a 1,000 gallon, or 3,785 liter, tank that provided water to some of the guest rooms, one of the kitchens, and a coffee shop that was on site. When he looked down into the tank through the open hatch, he saw the lifeless body of Alyssa Lamb floating face up and naked in the water. Two days later, the LA coroner's office would issue their report and they listed the cause of death as accidental drowning. On the official coroner's report, bipolar disorder was listed as a condition that contributed to the death. The report would say that her body showed signs of moderate decomposition and that there was no trauma noticed on her body or any sign of sexual assault. What was noted was the toxicology studies. 
combined with the physical medication that Alyssa left behind in her room when she disappeared, those two things led investigators to believe that she had been either under-medicating or she had stopped medicating altogether for her bipolar disorder. Aside from that, all that showed up was a very minimal amount of alcohol. So, the belief of investigators was that she likely did, as the coroner's report states, suffer from some kind of psychotic event that would have led to her winding up in the water tank on the roof. And as far as the death of Alyssa, that is where the investigation was closed. The video was the last sighting of Alyssa. Her scent signature ended at a window that led to the fire escape that would have led her to the roof. And much to the chagrin of those that want there to be more to the story, it would appear that there is not at least according to all authorities involved. But, as we know, especially in today's world, the easy answer is often scrutinized and scoured over. We've mentioned that there is a lot of discussion as to what could have happened alternatively, and there are really a lot of different ideas. There is an Asian game or ritual called the Elevator Game that many have said they believe that Alyssa was partaking in the video. For instance, I can see how that could be surmised, but it seems rather unlikely and perhaps more a leap because she was Asian and on an elevator acting strange. And of course, there are those that believe that the elevator video had been doctored before it was turned into police. That belief was fed by the fact that the timestamp is not shown on the video at all. For people who want to dig and find more story than the obvious, every step and misstep can be judged to be a part of the problem or the solution. We see that often. For me, as longtime listeners of GBNF know, I usually am one of the first to stand up for victims when police make mistakes or they overlook things. But I will say that in this case, I err on the side of believing that what the investigators found is what happened here. What I see on that video is indeed a young lady who does appear to be in distress. She appears to perhaps be talking to someone, as Julie alluded to. However, her movements are strange for someone that's afraid. Like, for example, when she bunny hops off of the elevator almost in a playful manner. That was certainly strange and almost seemed like it couldn't be part of the same video, that's for sure. Exactly. As silly as it may sound, the only other theory that works for me on any level when I add that into my thoughts is that she thought that she was playing the elevator game. But the reality is that I think you're looking at a young woman who is disassociating with reality because she's having a psychotic break. And sadly, I do believe that that may have led her to run, led her to hide, and possibly wound up with her inside of a tank that she could not get out of. And sadly, that did lead to her death. We will certainly talk even more about the theories and our feelings on Patreon. But I am with you. It is heartbreaking to see that video and see the way that she is. But I too believe that those are the actions of a woman who was unwell and sadly died later that day. In September of 2013, Alyssa's parents would file a wrongful death lawsuit against the Stay on Maine, 
and they would say that the hotel had failed to look after and look for hazards that could cause damage or death to anyone that was staying at the hotel. The family sued for unspecified damages and the costs of burying Alyssa. The hotel, though, would argue that the water tanks were not easily accessible and that they were something that they could not reasonably have seen as somewhere that a person would want to or try to get to. It also has remained unknown, even to this day, how Alyssa managed to get into the water tanks, and because of that fact, liability could not be placed upon the hotel. Two years later, in 2015, the lawsuit was dismissed. For interest's sake, I thought that while we talked about this case, we could also talk about the stay on Maine itself, briefly as well, as it's a place that has seen its fair share of heartaches. As we mentioned, it was previously known as the Cecil. The first documented suicide at the Cecil occurred all the way back on January 22, 1927, and over the years there have been at least 13 suicides that have taken place inside of the hotel. Over the years, the Cecil would garner a serious name for itself. Because it was located alongside Skid Row in L.A., it would get a name for affairs, drugs, prostitutes, suicide, and murder. It has even long been rumored to have been one of the last places that the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short, was seen before her death, although that has never been confirmed. And in the 1980s, serial killer Richard Ramirez would even call the hotel home for a few weeks and most of his killing spree was committed while he stayed at the Cecil. So, as you can see, this is likely a part of the allure that drew Alyssa to stay at the hotel when she said that she wanted to take a look at the lifestyle in Los Angeles. Not to mention that the price was low compared to other hotels in the area. The hotel was indeed home to many bad things before Alyssa came, and sadly now, Alyssa will become a part of the lore of the Cecil and the Stay on Main for as long as the historic building stands. But that is where we will leave this case today. There are so many ins and outs of this case that have been looked at, and as we have mentioned, we tend to believe that what the police said happened here in this case is indeed likely what happened. The reality is that this is either exactly what it looks like, or an elaborate cover-up involving so many people to hide what truly happened. While the latter is not completely out of the realm of possibility, the former is much more likely. The circumstances that happened in this case have been alluded to and used in a lot of popular culture. As we mentioned, the death itself seems to be very close to the movie Dark Water, which came out long before Alyssa's death. Over the years, many shows such as Castle and How to Get Away with Murder have used elements of her story as well in episodes and seasons of their shows, respectively. It has even been alluded to by the creator of American Horror Story that Lamb's death and the stay on Maine were inspirational in the fifth season of the series. If you want to learn more about the case, you can go to Netflix and watch Crime Scene, The Vanishing, at the Cecil Hotel which explores Alyssa's death in great detail. That premiered on February 10th, 2021. And I think that's all we have to say about that here today. If you haven't already, please sign up over on Patreon for our reaction episode. It probably will be a very good one. Come join the conversation with us over there.
And don't forget to come back next week for our 60th episode of Gone But Never Forgotten.